0: Well, we've entitled this morning's message Citing Corruption, Seeking Its Solution. Because what took place is the Lord Jesus in his revelation to John and John writing, articulately uh, putting on paper what the Lord is speaking to him so that it could be read throughout the seven churches of Asia Minor and ultimately read throughout the entire history of the church age, is that the Lord Jesus cited some corruption in this church in Thyatira. But his heart is always to bring solution to the problems that exist within his body. His heart is always to elevate, raise, restore his body to that place where his body is is a a glorifying entity to him here on planet Earth. And though he cites this corruption, he he also is seeking to bring a solution to the corruption that he has cited. The city of Thyatira itself, interesting, is known to be one of the smallest of the seven churches that are written to. Some historians have even said that the city was insignificant and small. But size in a given body of believers does not necessarily bespeak its health or its lack of health. It can be small or large. It can be wide or thin. It can be deep or shallow. But it does not necessarily dictate its health. There was uh, seemingly no persecution in this church in Thyatira. It was the center of business trade. In fact, though a small city... It had uh, the largest amount of trade guilds than any other town in Asia its size. And we'll talk a little bit more about the importance of those trade guilds uh, as we go on. A guild was a society of business people that utilized what they uh, sold and bought in commerce. And... What did take place in this small uh, town of Thyatira was that each uh, trade guild had its own uh, deity, its own god, whether a Greek god or a Roman god. uh, And out of the pantheon of gods to choose from, each one of these guilds had its own patron deity that they would worship that they would offer sacrifice to. What we do know for certain about Thyatira is that it was famous for a dye of purple. You may recall in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 14 through uh, 16, that there was a town uh, named Philippi that the apostle Paul had come to in his a third missionary journey. And he and Silas and Timothy and Luke had arrived on the scene in Philippi. And and Philippi, interestingly enough, did not have even 10 Jewish males that were married and had a family, which was what was needed to establish a synagogue in the town. And in a town where there was not Uh, the comprise of enough Jewish males that were married and had a family to to create a synagogue, uh, Jews would find running water somewhere, a creek or a stream, because running water represented life. And they would gather at a stream or a river in order on the Sabbath day to to hold meetings. And if you recall in the book of Acts, it was Paul arriving in this town. The Sabbath came around and him recognizing there was no synagogue. There had been an established body of believers, but he was returning to see how they were. And so he found his way to this river and lo and behold, there was a woman named Lydia there. And Acts tells us that she was a seller of purple from the city of tyra which meant several things. She was uh, a, an aggressive businesswoman who had succeeded. And if you read that account, Paul declares the gospel to her, and she is saved and baptized. And then this gifting that she must have had in terms of Sales. If you've ever met someone in sales who's gifted, they almost get you to buy, you know, waterfront property in the desert, and and then you walk away going, "What did I just do?" And so she was gifted in this way, and she urged. You remember after she got saved, she urged Paul to come to her home. And so she must have been somewhat well off, enough to have room in her home for her servants, herself, uh, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke. She was a seller of purple from Thyatira. The purple dye was harvested by a shell which was known as the Merck shell. And in each shell, you can... Think about uh, what it takes to get a pearl from an oyster. In each shell was one drop of this purple dye. So you can imagine the massive amounts of merc shells that were harvested uh, for the city of Thyatira in order for you to have enough to make it a sellable product uh, in the day. People didn't wear colorful clothes. They wore whatever was available from the fabrics that were natural sources. So if someone had color on, first of all, it bespoke that they were uh, affluent enough to afford that. And purple, if they had purple, they were wealthy. And so we find that in this city of a pantheon of gods, a phenomenal amount of trade guilds. There was a church. There was a body of believers. And it's necessary for the Lord to uh, come in into this scenario as, as he has commissioned John to write to the seven of these churches. He comes in and he makes some observations. What's important is the one that's making the observations is, as he states there in verse 18, uh, he's the son of God. The one making the observations in the life of his church is none other than the son of God. Now, Jewish thought uh, accompanied the idea that if you were a son of a thing, you carried the nature of that thing. In Isaiah 57.3, we have a a reference to the sons of sorceress. In Mark 3.17, we have a reference to the, the sons of thunder. And so here we have the Son of God taking on the very divine nature of God himself and describes himself. Notice that he has eyes like a flame of fire. Verse 18 the lower part penetrating in other words penetrating eyes and I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to look into someone's eyes who's penetrate uh, to you you can't ignore what's coming from that eye and you think of the eyes of the son of God with eyes like a flame of fire they're penetrating eyes but think about this Fire does two things. Number one, to the to the soul, uh, a fire can represent comfort and warmth. You ever been out camping and you're cold, and or you're in your living room and it the cold weather has happened. You light a fire. It's that idea of comfort and warmth. But a fire can also burn and hurt to the soul it is his eyes can be a comfort they can be a warmth those eyes of flame like fire but to the flesh those same eyes can burn and they can hurt and so we see that <clears throat> he describes himself as having these eyes like a flame of fire and feet like brass Representing, of course, his purity because brass was refined in fire. It represents his strength. Brass, if you uh, are taking note this morning, was the strongest metal uh, known to the ancient world at the time of this writing. So it represents his purity, his strength, but it also represents his authority to judge. In the Old Testament, brass is predominantly an item that represents judgment. And here now, to the New Testament church, he is coming in to exercise judgment upon how that church is doing, how that body of believers is doing, how those that are calling themselves Christians are doing, and his authority to do so. Because he knows that there's change needed. And it begins to inch the reader as this. Can you imagine this letter circulating throughout the churches and then this letter getting to the church at Thyatira? And it begins to inch toward the subject of change. It begins to rumble in the heart of the Christian. Is there an area of change needed in my life? The Lord so gracious, he begins by citing the commendable things. The commendable things cited. Uh, He says, I know your works. Look at verse uh, 19. Now, you will recognize that he knows that about each one of the churches that he speaks to and that he writes to. So what I like to do is, is place the things that come after as the works. And we have an interesting comparison going on here. The works... In the church at Ephesus, they had labor, they were busy, they were patient, and they had perseverance. The works in the church at Smyrna basically were tribulation and poverty, though they were rich. The works in the church at Pergamos, as we studied last week with Pastor Austin, that they held fast to his name, and they did not deny the faith, even though they dwelt right in one of Satan's strongholds. That was their works. But if you look at the list of works here for the church at Thyatira, uh, it's interesting. They, their works outshine the others. Uh, I know your work, love, service, faith, patience. And as for your works, they are more... Uh, at the end, than they were at the first. Interesting comparison. And in some ways, you could say that well, this church at Thyatira was model. It had essential characteristics going on in it. And wouldn't you and I? Wouldn't we like to see the New Testament church model for the world? What? what Jesus' church is, is to be like. There's so much confusion sometimes today about what the church is supposed to be like. And yet, here we have in that same verse the phrase, nevertheless. Now, if you've read ahead, hopefully you'll be reading ahead each week Next week we will be in chapter 3. And what we find is that in all of the churches that he writes to, there are only two that he uses this phrase nevertheless to. First at the church at Ephesus and then here at the church at Thyatira. In the church at Ephesus he had one thing. He said, but this I have against you. Uh, we did see that it was their lack of love for him and, and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans there as well. Here he says, I have a few things against you. Verse 20 he says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things. Sacrificed to idols. So we see that uh, this woman, Jezebel, is certainly at the core of what the Lord has uh, against this church. In other words, someone once put it this way that she was at the center of the corruption. A woman was at the center of the corruption of the church at Thyatira. I found that to be uncannily interesting for a variety of reasons, and some more we'll talk about, but uh, to speak to you Christian women here at Calvary Chapel and that go to any church if you're watching at home. Women in the church, Christian women, can have an powerful impact on a fellowship for good or for bad. Women who seek God and are endeavoring to uh, build up the body of Christ that they they attend, that, that they call home, uh, if endeavoring to remain um, edifying to others and be speaking things that will encourage the body of Christ, can have a tremendous impact on the forward momentum of that fellowship. And uh, we often know as men, uh, well, I'll speak for me, I can't speak for you, but I know that as men sometimes, my wife is much more sensitive to some of the things of the Spirit and the things of God. Women can often be. They have a sensitivity and when that sensitivity is exercised to the benefit of the body of Christ and the seeking of God, man, powerful things take place in a church. But contrary wise, when women don't seek the Lord, don't endeavor to walk in the Spirit, become filled with backbiting and rumor and whisper and and don't seek to edify, it can become and be a huge problem in the the forward momentum of any fellowship. And here we find a woman at the center of the corruption of the Church of Thyatira. Now, Jezebel is not necessarily her name. We don't know that for sure. Uh, But we do know that names have a powerful association Think with me for a minute, you know, what do you think about when you hear Judas? Okay, we often think about Judas Iscariot who betrayed the Lord. What do you think about when you hear a name like Hitler? Okay, powerful association. Jezebel, powerful association. We do know that the Jezebel of the Old Testament was one of the most evil women in the Old Testament because of what she did and what she attempted to do. Uh, 1 Kings 16 uh, through 21 is your reference. What she attempted to do in the Old Testament, that Jezebel, is combine the worship of the people of God, of Israel, to combine the worship of the one true God with the worship of a pagan deity known as Baal and Baal had methods by which he or it would be worshipped which included the sacrifice of children burned in order to supposedly appease this pagan deity sound familiar and that's what she was responsible for in the Old Testament Some Greek manuscripts even make reference, if you'll notice in the verse uh, 20, when Jesus says, um, because you allow that woman, Jezebel, notice the article, that woman, is in front of it. Some Greek manuscripts even ascribe that the phrase, that woman, meant your woman, and that to take that. Thought one step further that it could very well have been the leader of that church or the pastor of that church wife. That's who she is. What she does <clears throat> is there for us that she calls herself a prophetess but she is not. Now Jesus warned us of this. He warned the New Testament church of that and <clears throat> Excuse me, warns us today of that. Matthew twenty four eleven. Jesus said there would be false prophets among you, people who come in and say that they're a prophet and they are not. But notice there are two things that she uh, does that corrupt the genuine and beautiful work of God in His people. Number one, she teaches and seduces my servants, to do, number one, commit sexually immoral acts. Number two, to embrace idolatry by the eating of things that are offered to idols. She's teaching Christians that immoral acts are okay. In fact, she teaches them about them. We have come over the top today in the Western culture as it relates to sexually immoral product and byproduct. Almost well, so much of what is commerced today in our world is advertised through sexually uh, suggestive things. And here you and I are called to stand in the midst of this, similar to the Christian who was a part of a trade guild in Thyatira. That, you know, the world is teaching you this is okay, that is okay. Don't, you know, don't be such a prude, or don't be so narrow. Horrific what takes place today in our culture. But there and then, she was teaching it. And, and in her teaching, can you imagine? Seducing. Seducing my servants. Notice. Notice. Powerful. The, the M in my. Personal pronoun. Jesus said, these are my children, and she's teaching and seducing them that immoral acts of any sort are okay. They're not. Embracing idolatry by the eating of things that are sacrificed to idols, you know, the Apostle Paul speaks of this in his letter to the Corinthians, that, you know, one person says one day is Uh, holy, another person says, another day. So let each one be convinced in his own mind. And the same thing applies. He was applying to the eating of things that were purchased in markets that would have been sacrificed to an idol before they landed in the market. And that there were Christians that would stumble at, at eating something that had been offered to a pagan deity. And that each one of us has the freedom, we'll get to this in just a moment, to make a choice because of the spirit at work in us whether or not this thing or that thing, this thing that we have or do, that thing that we have or do is actually uh, an idol of some sort in my life. And what's an idol? That's something that takes your uh, interest, time, and passion. Okay your interest, your time, and your passion. And uh, if in giving this thing or that thing your interest, your time, and your passion, it outweighs, overrules, guide and guides and directs your life as, re- as your life relates to being a servant of the Most High God, then yes, that thing or that activity, or whatever it is, has taken on uh, idle status. We are to remain sensitive to the, to the Lord and to the work of His Spirit to keep our priorities in check. Nothing wrong with uh, uh, a hobby, a thing, an activity, as long as it doesn't take on idle status. And yet she was driving these things home. This thing about the trade guild, I shared with you to get a little bit more information about it. What's interesting is that in a trade guild in Thyatira, it would be a mandatory social occasion to meet, whether it was once a month, once, once every two or three months. And if you were a Christian on Thyatira and involved in any kind of commerce, you had to belong to a guild or you wouldn't survive. And so going to a meeting as a Christian, there might have been um, a meeting at one of the temples. Remember I told you they had each one had its own patron deity, whether it was Greek or Roman, there would be temples associated with it or not. And so a Christian would be invited to say the Temple of Apollo and encouraged to engage in either a sexually immoral act or the eating of something that was definitely sacrificed to idol and, and the the servant of God could fall and stumble. One commentator writes: The draw to the guilds and their meetings was powerful. No merchant or trade trader could hope to prosper or make money unless he uh, was a member of the trade guild. Nonetheless, Christians were expected to stand in the face of this kind of pressure. One ancient Christian named Tertullian, maybe you've heard that name, wrote about Christians who made their living in the trades connected to pagan idolatry. And uh, this commentator cites that a painter might find work uh, in pagan temples a sculptor might find work hired to make a statue of a pagan god and they would justify their work by saying, this is how I make my living, I need to do it. And Tertullian's response was, this is how you make your living, must you live? There can be an an unusual amount of justification that goes on at times when it comes to choosing what we engage to be involved in. But I want to back us up for a moment because I think all of that is extremely uh, important to the text and to our understanding of, of Jesus' observation of the church, who she was and what she did. It's very important. But if I were to back us up, I, the key for me this morning and perhaps for us Comes at the beginning of the verse twenty. If you'll notice, it's three words. It says, "Because you allow." If you're taking note this morning, you might want to underline that. It says, "Because you allow," and it's a reference to the free will that they had as Christians. The sin. Taking place in the Thyatiran church wasn't an outward thing, as, I, as we studied. They had great essential things going on outwardly, but it was what they were allowing to take place in their midst. It, it was what they would go ahead and just put up with. We touched on this a little bit a couple weeks ago about compromise, but this is... This is a full-on allowing of something internally. Not necessarily a large group. Could have been only a few within the church. Hey, notice there's something to think about. When When we look at this letter and we know he's writing to the body of believers, it's like, man, was everybody allowing that? Well... We don't know for sure, and it wasn't necessarily the whole of the group. It could have been just a few that were allowing these things to to take place. They were allowing this seduction. They were allowing this teaching to go on. The Apostle Paul spoke to this same issue To the church at Corinth, years earlier, you may recall that there was an individual in the Corinthian church that was openly being sexually immoral with uh, women and even having uh, someone else's wife being open about it and Paul came in to correct that kind of thinking that it's not okay to just keep silent. It's not okay to just not say anything. It's not okay to not do anything when there is clearly unbiblical behavior taking place in a body of believers and secondly, perhaps even being flaunted. Paul speaking to it in 1 Corinthians 5, he said to that church at that time for what they were putting up with. He said, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Yes, there's, there's a role that we all have in checks and balance and each other's life and it should take place first of all one on one then a couple on one if it continues to be refused the the biblical counsel of how what should be going on in your life as a Christian both whether it deals with immoral behavior or some other thing that if it's that counsel is refused then, then we're to take it to the church And that's one of those things that is not often clearly lived out uh, in today's Christian, Western Christian world. Notice in verse 21, he says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. That's an interesting phrase the Lord somehow made this known and gave the body their time. So what we find is now, as we get into the uh, solutions that will be given and the directives made clear. The solutions that will be given and the directives made clear. What we find, this is an interesting statement, before telling the church at Thyatira what they must do, Jesus tells them what he will do. Isn't that beautiful? And he tells them, he says, I will give, uh, uh, indeed, verse 22, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her her children with with death. In other words, this offspring of those who are just like following this and encouraging this and uh, flaunting it and living in it. Um, And all the churches, notice this phrase, all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you According to your works. Very powerful. So he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to cast her into a sick bed. A couple of different ways of looking at that. It could be uh, metaphorically an image uh, of affliction in some way. It could be a literal sickness that is allowed in her life and her followers' lives. You've heard the phrase, you made your bed, now lie in it. It's as if Jesus is saying, hey, you want an unclean bed? Okay, here, I'm going to give it to you. Because of your choice to engage in this and refuse to repent, not repent. I gave you time. Paul speaks about the fact that sometimes physical illness this is a powerful truth uh, that physical illness can at times now hear me very clearly, I'm not saying this is, you know always, but can be. First Corinthians 11:29 and 30 says, "For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself." not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. What's Paul mean by that? Again, he was speaking to this Corinthian church that was a wild bunch. And one of the problems in the Corinthian church is that they would come to the communion table And just make it a party. And rather than remembering Jesus' body on the cross and Jesus' blood spilt as payment for my sin, they would just take out the elements and continue to live a sinful life, a party life, a self-focused life, And take of those elements and just keep on. Take of those elements and just keep on. Take of those elements and just keep on. And Paul recognized that in that body of believers, because that's how some of them were uh, approaching the sanctity of the communion service, that some of them were sick. And so it, it absolutely... You know, affirms Jesus saying, Hey, I'm going to cast her into a sickbed, whether it's uh, imagery or literal. But let's talk about grace for a moment, okay? Quiet group. Uh, uh, where's the grace in this? Please, bring me to grace. We all need it. Notice the phrase, bottom of verse 22 unless they repent of their deeds. There's grace. Here it is, the second offer again, right? The second time. Here's your chance, my beloved. I've made it clear how I want this change in your life. The God of second third, fourth, fifth chances. Don't ever think you can't at any given moment in your life turn and say God, man I, I haven't been walking with you. God, I didn't even acknowledge you. Jesus, I I didn't even believe in you. Uh, Jesus, I put you to the side. Oh, I knew you were there but and God, I am broken. We sang it this morning. I'm broken and I'm running and running to you. Don't you ever think that he won't for one moment open his arms wide and say, come home, my child. Because he does. And he will. And he always will. And there is nothing, church, that compares to that embrace of A repentant heart responding to a loving Savior. Can you hear me the first time? Louder! <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Ear wax out louder. Please come home. I love the phrase the way down is always the way up. In humility and repentance is a restoration with the resurrected king. And the purpose, you know, let's remind ourselves, the purpose of correction here as he's speaking to this body of believers in Thyatira, he's speaking to the church at large over the entire time of the church age in which we live in he is speaking to you and i this morning and if you're watching home he's speaking to you the purpose of correction why it has two reasons number one to draw us to repentance to move us to a place of saying god i want you to direct the affairs of my life take over and as that happens in a human life, as it happens in a, a small group, as it how we doing in time, as it happens to a body of believers, they become an example to other bodies of believers to the church around. All right, let's close it out. He says. Now to you I say, verse 24, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of Satan as they say, I will put on you no other burden. He just says, but hold fast what you have till I come. You have a little of me, hold on to me. You have a lot of me, hold on to me. And whatever station of life that you've come into an encounter with Christ Almighty resurrected, whether this is a new thing, a middle thing, an old thing, come afresh and just hold on and as you do and overcome, to you who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He references here Uh, Psalm chapter 2 ask of me and I will give you the nations the, the psalmist writes and he's speaking about that time of the end in which Christians will rule and reign with him he shall rule them with a rod of iron they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel as I also have received from my father and I will give Him, the morning star. You can overcome. As you overcome, hold on to me and you will be a part of what takes place in the kingdom age, ruling and reigning with me in my power and in my strength. Don't crumble and fall and submit to the the winds of the world around you. Don't use your business or activities as an excuse to engage in immoral things or, or idolatry kind of setting things above my relationship with you. No. Just come back to the beginning. Start afresh, and you'll overcome. And oh, by the way, if you're listening, (laughs) then you're hearing what my spirit is saying to the church. If we are listening, we are hearing what the spirit is saying to us. Will you pray with me? Let's close. Lord Jesus, as we end our time together in your word this morning, it is a sobering thing, a sobering thing to hear the voice of Almighty God. And Lord, I sense this hour that there may be some either watching or even here. that know you are inviting them to repentance. What's needed to repent of is, is clearly only between you and them. Doesn't need to be between anyone else, but it, it is a whisper to a heart. Lord, each one of us this morning would say, have your way. Have your way, O God. Because we don't want to leave here without knowing that we've encountered you, we've heard you, we've responded to you. We're reclaiming our love for you soul in this moment in this hour we repent Lord and we ask you to search us see what's in there Lord if there's anything that would keep us By your gentle and gracious hand, remove it. We ask it in Jesus' name.